Romans chapter 1 or 4, you can, uh, we're going to land in 4, but uh, we'll get there in, in 1. Uh, we're going to start in 1 and get there in 4. Uh, real quick commercial I forgot to mention to you. Um, uh, Jen Cosen, um, Jennifer, um, Grant or something you told me, um, has a whole bunch of these books, okay? I don't want to, these are invitation for all of you, not just women, but um, especially you women. Uh, Jen Wilkin is a well-known Bible teacher in our circles, wrote a book called Women of the Word, How to Study the Bible with both with both our hearts and our minds and we have a whole bunch of these books you can take with you there's um, a good number of you that are in our 915 discipleship hour how to study the bible um, this would just add to that um, understanding of all that so I encourage you to grab one of these and it'll just um, uh, put in your library read it and use it uh, the other thing is we're around the corner from starting our new next class so we we've got a sequence here we've, we've we're spending September, October, November, roughly, on what is the Bible, how to study it, but we're going to move into what we call biblical theology, or the story of the Bible. There's some particular curriculum that we're going to use based on a book called God's Big Picture, so that's going to be at the 9.15 hour for you adults. Kids and students are a little bit different. We'll work with Pastor Mike on what those details are, but so that'll start right in December, so I'm going to kick that off with a particular week explaining what theology is, and then we'll move into biblical theology and so uh, we'll encourage you to be a part of that uh, beginning in December. So, all right, Romans chapter, um, we're going to be in four here in just a moment. Now, as most of you know, I like to have fun with words, especially alliteration. It's just how my brain works. Like, I, I will just organize a menu with alliteration. I don't, I don't care what it is. I just see that. That's just how, it's a problem. I know, I, I need counseling for it. But uh, you're going to notice, though, that I've been doing very little of that in the book of Romans. It's because Romans doesn't lend itself to fun and games. It's a weighty book. There's a, just so much there. And basically, my, my uh, primary motivation is just, what is it saying and how do we understand it and what do we do with it? Uh, I'm not trying to get creative or, or crazy with it in any way. Uh, Paul, uh, now on the one hand, I feel like I'm, as I read Paul to you, it's like a courtroom scene where he's like logic and argument and he's really, let's believe this and this and this and there's lots of words. So my role is that I feel like I'm an interpreter as I just step back and say, okay, let me try to grasp this and then help you understand it so that we can apply it all together. So uh, I'm pretty much each week-ish, I'm going to come back and make sure that we understand what is the entire argument because what does today's passage have to do with Paul's entire argument? So put on your thinking caps, which I was, as I was writing this out and then I was reviewing my message this morning, I thought, what in the world is a thinking cap? So I looked it up, okay? It's a metaphor, but you know what it used to be called back in Tom's day? I mean, back in the 1600s, it was called a considering cap, but now it's called a thinking cap. So put your thinking cap or your considering caps on, and uh, we're going to start in, I just moved here in my notes, okay, in Romans 1. 16 and 17 is kind of the, this is what Paul's all about. He says, for I am not ashamed of the what? I need to do a little drawing here, so let me get my pen here. Okay, the gospel. What's the other way we say the gospel? With good news, okay? For it is the power of God to do what? To, to save for salvation to everyone who believes. This becomes very important. Who gets it first? Jews. The Jews. 
and then to everyone else and to the Greeks. So he's writing primarily to Jews, but knowing that some of the Gentiles, the Greeks, are going to kind of peek in on the letter, so they're going to see it as well. For in it, what's the it? The gospel, good. For in it, the, the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the, the truth, everything, the goodness, everything good about God is revealed... It's being demonstrated, shown, manifested from what? Faith. Everything in this book is hinged on faith. From faith, for faith, as it is written, shall the righteous shall live by faith. That's from Habakkuk. Why does he say from faith, for faith? What he's saying here is, in fact, I stole this from the ESV study Bible. Right standing with God is by faith from start to finish. The life of faith is all-encompassing. It is by faith that one initially receives the gift of salvation, eternal life, but it is also by faith that one lives each day. So when you got saved, so we used to call it a lot, that took faith. You didn't just check faith at the door. Faith is an ongoing thing that you and I need each and every day in order to continue to receive the righteousness of God. Doesn't mean you can lose your salvation. That's a whole other conversation, but that's not what I'm trying to say here. But verse 18, well, no, hang on. Let me make sure you see this. The righteousness of God is revealed. Now in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. So from chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, it's what we call the bad news. Paul says, before I can tell you all about the righteousness of God, i got to tell you about the wrath of God. And he goes through this whole sequence of saying, no one is righteous. We're all messed up. Our accounts are overdrawn. Okay? There, there is no righteousness in them. There is no good in them. And because of that, we all deserve to die. We all deserve God's wrath. And it doesn't matter, Paul argues, not, that's not what I'm saying, what Paul's saying, is that uh, even the Jews, even if you're religious like the Jews, who have their, they have the law, and they have their special signs like circumcision, Paul argues all that, even all of that, you still deserve to be separate from God for all of eternity. In fact, he sums it up. In Romans 3, verse 20, he says, For by works of the law, so doing good deeds, no human being will be justified. What does justified mean? It means being made right with God. Will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes what? Knowledge of sin. We're going to come back to that because Paul is repeating that statement in, in our passage today at the end of chapter 4. So verse 21, but now the righteousness of God. Remember back in 17, he says the righteousness of God has been revealed. Verse 18, the, righteous, the wrath of God has been revealed. He's coming back and saying, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Same thing, revealed, shown, demonstrated. Apart from what? The law. So the righteousness of God is not going to be available through the law. Although, don't just throw the law and the prophets away. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets point 
to God's righteousness. Verse 22, this is a passage that Cam walked us through a few weeks ago. It says, it describes the righteousness of God. Where This is oh, verses 20, 22 to 25. There's so much here. Go memorize it. The righteousness of God through what? Faith in who? Jesus Christ. For who? All who believe. Everyone. Jews, Greeks. There is no distinction for all, we've said all means all, have sinned. And we've all fall short of the glory of God. We can't reach it. And the good news is, though, we are justified or made right by His grace as a gift. He's like, here, you got take this. It's the power of God for salvation. It's grace. It's a free gift. It's not something we get to boast about. Through... The redemption, this is a technical term of God buying us back, that is again in Christ Jesus. And again, Paul's just like, it's a run-on sentence after one after the other. Whom, this is Jesus, God put forward as a propitiation, it just means substitute. He was a substitute for our sin by his blood to be received by faith, we believe. This was to show God's righteousness. So it's to demonstrate it. His righteousness now being revealed because in his divine forbearance, in his patience, that's just a word for parenting, just forbearance, parenting, putting up with the kids. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. One more verse here. We'll get into chapter four. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who... Does what? Has faith in Jesus. Repetition. He's saying it over and over again. If he's going to say it over and over again, I think it's good for us to hear it over and over again. Now, if you're a good Jew and you're hearing all this stuff, you're probably arguing with him a little bit because your whole world is, I obey the law and God's impressed with me. That's your whole, and some of us kind of have that today. I'm a good person. God owes me. I, I, can, I can earn God's favor. And so if you're a Jew, you're thinking, well, okay, Paul, wait a minute, I, I, got, I got one for you. What do you do with Abraham? And Paul goes, I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about Abraham. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? The reason he says according to the flesh is because truly, he's going to argue, uh, Abraham is not just a father to the Jews, he's also the father to the Gentiles through faith. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, what shall we then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works made righteous by his good deeds, well, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? And Paul quotes Genesis 15, verse 6. Or four, 15, four, six, I don't know, it doesn't matter, Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Doesn't talk about any of the good deeds, uh, or he didn't have to earn it. He believed, God says, let me give you my righteousness. Now, verses um, four down to verse 12 that we covered last week. Not going to recover those. Encourage you to go check that out. Uh, on, we, by the way, some of you have asked recently. Um, our sermons are recorded, and usually most Sunday afternoons, 
depending on Cabby's nap time, that's usually the way it is, um, she'll post those. So they're available right away, and uh, they're on our website, or they're on a podcast. We're on Spotify, Google, and Apple. So they're always available. Not video. I do not have a face for video. I have a face for radio. So we put that uh, on there. And uh, so anytime you're missing that, I encourage you to go and listen to that. So let's pick up then in verse 13. That's a long intro. We'll go fairly quickly. And I know there's eight points, I think, in the sermon. I think it's eight or seven or nine. I can't remember. It's so many. I didn't count them. Uh, we're going to walk through verses 13 down to 25. Here we go. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be the heir of the world. Let me pause there. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham out and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land, seed, descendants, and blessing. And that traces all throughout the Old Testament. That was the promise here. That promise to Abraham and to his offspring did not come through what? The law. Instead, it came through Righteousness of faith. Another way to say it is as righteousness by faith. So what's going to happen here is Paul's going to unpack Abraham and then apply it to us. But first I want to pause and say anytime we see a picture of God, I want to show you this. So let me remind you this morning that God is a God of promises. The whole story of Scripture, we talked about this in our, our discipleship hour class. Jen talked about this. Creation, fall, Redemption, restoration, that's the story of the Bible. Creation, God created everything the way it was supposed to be. The fall happened, sin, brokenness, um, everyone's messed up from that point on. And then there's redemption, Jesus, his, his first visit, he's, he in, inaugurates the kingdom, and then someday it's going to be fulfilled by full restoration. But what I like to do is telling you that there's a, that's just a simple version. You can tell that in a little bit longer version, and one way to do that is you add the word promise in there. Where would promise fit? Creation, between creation and fall? Between fall and redemption? Or between redemption and restoration? A little bit of a trick question, but it's really between fall and redemption. So after the fall, even at the fall in Genesis 3, uh, Moses gives us a hint that the seed of the woman, Jesus, is going to crush the head of the serpent. Just this little glimpse of a Messiah that's going to come and rescue us someday. And then all of the Old Testament shows us all these fallen heroes all pointing to the one hero who isn't going to fall, and that's Jesus. So there's a promise coming of redemption. And I just want to remind you and I that God is a God of promises over and over and over again, beginning with, with really goes before Abraham, but we're looking at Abraham here. Well, how do we get these promises? How do they get to us? Well, they actually, let's see first how Abraham received the promises, then we'll look at what that means for us. Let's go back to 18. For the promised Abraham and his offspring, that he would be the heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. These are just straightforward points today. I'm not trying to get creative, okay? Abraham received God's promise by what? He believed. He believed. He believed. Verse 14. For... If it is the adherents of the law, meaning those who obey the law, who are to be the heirs. So if you obey the law, you're to be uh, the heirs of that promise. If that's the case by law, then faith is null and the promise is void. 
you're going to see this ongoing tension in Paul's, in all the, the chapters ahead, but he also really covers it in the book of Galatians, is there's law versus faith. You have to get it, the, the right relationship there. Because if you get God's promises through the law, then you don't get it by faith, which means you don't get the promises. It's one or the other. You can't have both. It's kind of like you can't be cheering for Ohio State and that state up north, okay? It's impossible. You, you just can't do that. If you do, you've got mental illness, okay? That's how that works. Um, you can't like both. You can't be a fan of both Diet Pepsi and Diet Coke, okay? You have to like Diet Coke. That's the right, that's the right answer, okay? Um, I'm really going to tread on thin ice here, but you can't be a Republican and a Democrat, okay? That just doesn't work. Or most importantly, you can't be a Browns and a Ravens fan, right? That's, that's how you, you, okay, agree, okay? The Browns are going to win today, just, just okay, okay. Um, just so you know, Miss Baltimore girl. Okay, um, you can't be both. It's, so, so law or faith, you can't have both. You can't have both, okay? I said it wrong. Verse 15, here's why. For the law, here's the purpose of the law, brings what? Man, we don't like to think about that, do we? We don't like to think that, that God is a God of wrath, but, but the reality is, because we're sinful, broken people, the law, where there is no law, there's no transgression. So the purpose of the law is to show us how messed up we are. In fact, back to chapter 3, verse 20, it tells us that through the law, comes knowledge of sin. So let's just say it this way in our notes. The purpose of the law is to reveal our sinfulness. Even in the Old Testament, as the people were, were giving their sacrifices, it was still meant to be a matter of the heart, not just obeying an external law as a Jew performing sacrifices. It was, okay, God, I love you. I'm going to have faith and trust you. It repeatedly shows us that no one could keep all the laws, though, because where there's no law, there's no transgression. So many of you know my son, Eli. Um, he was born to ride a bike. Uh, we took off his training wheels when he was 18 months, and he just, he's always been on a scooter, a BMX bike, uh, a road bike, or a um, um, mountain bike. Uh, man and I were out in Colorado last summer and about killed ourselves just following him down uh, a mountain, a motorbike. Thankfully, he got rid of that, and he's alive, uh, thanks to you. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Elijah has this theory which I'll tell you right up front, if Elijah ever runs for office somewhere, do not vote for him, okay? <laughs> he thinks there should be a law, this is his theory, that um, there are just people who are meant to drive fast and there are people who are meant to drive slow. And he thinks that you should be able to pass a test and have no speed limits and have a special card that you could just drive however fast you want, wherever you want, whenever. Don't vote for him, okay? That just, okay. I, I don't think that's safe. But uh, if he got his way, uh, there would be no law. Therefore, there would be no transgressions. Now, the good news is um, he slowed down because he realized there's this thing called insurance payments. And um, he's growing up, but he's still suffering the consequences of that. He has passed that on to his younger brothers to say, slow down, don't do what I did. But uh, all that is an illustration. If there were no law, there would be no transgressions. So the law's purpose is to show us how we transgress against a holy God. 
That is why, verse 16, that's why it depends on, not the law, instead it depends on what? Faith. In order that the promise, God's promise to Abraham, may rest on grace. God just giving him something he doesn't deserve. And, I love this, and be guaranteed to who? All his offspring. Who are his offspring? There's two kinds. Not only to the adherent of the law, who would that be? Jews, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Who's that? That's us. Who is the father of us all, us all. So here's just a simple truth. Faith is what connects us to the promises made to Abraham. That's why we can say our father Abraham is because we share the same faith. We're asked to believe just like he believes. Paul takes it a step further. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed. Now watch, here's another window into something we can learn about who God is, who gives what? Life to the dead. And he calls into existence the things that do not exist. What's that point us to? Creation. God, here, let me just, just remind you a truth here. God is a God of new life. God likes to restore. God likes to fix. He likes to bring life into the world. God is a God, um, which tells us, in addition, God still is able to keep his promises. He makes promises, but he's able to keep it. God doesn't write bad checks. He's not like a parent who promises Disneyland to his kids and doesn't take them. I'm still bitter, Dad, so... God keeps his promises. I have not made that promise to my kids. So, no, we're not going to Disneyland. So, uh, you take me to Disneyland someday. God keeps his promises. Abraham believed. Now, watch this. I love this. In what? What's that word there? Hope. In hope, he believed against hope, which means it wasn't popular. Like, this, this isn't going to work. I love this to watch. He says that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told in Genesis 15 and 17, there, God told him in several different ways, so shall your offspring be. You're going to be the father of many nations. You're, you're, you're gonna, you're, they're going to outnumber the stars that you see in the sky. Well, what was Abraham's response? He did not weaken in faith Watch this. When he considered his own body, what does consider your own body? It means it means look in the mirror, okay? Just like, oh, okay, you, you just think about your own body, which was what? As good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. I don't need to explain biology to you, folks. But let's just say Isaac's birth was a miracle. God promised it. He brought life from the almost dead. Scripture says it, okay? He looked at, Abraham looked in the mirror and said, I'm as good as dead. And he looked at Sarah and he says, there ain't no way we're having a baby. But yet, he had faith. He had hope because God promised it. Because God would call into existence 
the things that did not exist. Now just let me pause here real quick. I'm biting my tongue because you think I make fun of old people? I mean, Paul is making fun of old people right here, right? Like, like it's Paul, not me, okay? So just, you gateway geezers, it, it's just, that's a, that's a loving term for it all. So, sorry, I'll, I'll pay for that, Pat, okay. Um, Paul just tells it like it is. Here's what we need to remember. Hope and faith go together. Hope and faith go together. Again, my friends, faith isn't a checkbox. I believe this, I do this, I did. No, 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 it, it's a way of life. I don't understand how God's gonna follow through with this promise. I don't know, understand how God's gonna take care of me, but I'm going to believe and I'm going to have hope. Let me remind you a couple things. Hope in God's presence He's always with us. He says that. He's always, Emmanuel. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. Uh, Holy Spirit's living in us, God's presence. Hope that there is always a way to give him glory no matter what we're going through. I think that's a promise of 1 Corinthians 10 is that no matter what you're facing, there is always a way to give God glory. Always. You don't have, we don't have to sin. There's always a way out. There's hope that God is working things out for his glory and our good. There's hope that Jesus is going to return and take us out of this mess someday. There's hope even when the world hates us. And all that impacts our daily lives. Some of you came here today just to hear that one line, is that you need hope. You need hope that there's a future, but it starts with faith, to believe Abraham says, it says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But watch what happened here. He grew what? Strong in his faith. Well, how did he do that? Did he go to the gym? Did he go to church? I don't know. But he grew faith, at, strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. That is such a key line. Because what do we like to do when the troubles happen? We don't like to put our eyes on God. We like to put our eyes on our problems, our eyes on the people that annoy us and let us down, on our bank accounts, on our things that are falling apart, our health issues. No, he, he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able, something you can give him glory for, to do what he had promised, and that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Read that multiple times. My friends, faith grows when God is glorified. And I want to remind you and me, how big is our God? Do we have a small God or do we have a big God? I feel like this is just something I've been working on my entire life. It's because the bigger I make myself and trust myself, the smaller my God is. We're a lot of self-independent people. We like to give glory, and that ends up bringing glory to ourselves rather to God than to God. Let me remind you of this. We make lousy saviors for ourselves and for others. Spouses make lousy saviors. Kids, grandkids make lousy saviors. 
Got an amen. Money, possessions, influence, lousy saviors. Our bodies, lousy saviors. Even ministry can be a lousy savior. The truth is, if God gets the glory, if he gets the attention, then our faith in him can grow. And that's why we try our very best, and we've got a wonderful worship team that uses music and, and loud music to, to remind us that we've got a great big God, and that should increase our faith. And as we hear God's word proclaimed, that should increase our faith. And as we pray, as we confess sin, that should, confess, should, should increase our faith because God is being glorified. All right, let's bring it home. But the words, it was counted to him. Remember? Okay, Abraham believed it was counted to him as righteous. We've heard that multiple times. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Watch this. It will be counted to us who do what? Sit right there. You got to believe. You got to have faith. I'm not going to sing it, but you got to have faith. Who believe, but you got to believe in the right thing, in him, God, the Father, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, our, our, our master, the one in charge, who was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins, and was raised for our justification, being made right with God. I can't state it any more simply than we too are made right with God by faith. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to, okay, God, you owe me. I know we don't say that, but I think we feel it. If I give a little more money to the church, oh, God's going to be impressed. If I spend a little more time in my Bible, no, no those are good things to do, Bible reading and, and church and giving in general. I mean, all the good things, okay, but, but, but they don't make you right with God. We do these things because we've been made right with God, and it's because we simply believe and his righteousness is counted to our account. As we circle back around from faith for faith, my friends, it starts with faith, but we need to keep having faith. We need to keep believing. And as we keep believing, that's going to give us hope as we give him glory. What do we believe? We believe in Jesus. We believe that he wears the victor's crown. We're going to give him endless praise. We're going to crown him, adore him. We're going to invite the worship team to come up, and uh, we're going to gather around the table, which, by the way, we're working on an extra set of tables for the back. So, uh, uh, but for now, we're going to invite you to come up and receive uh, the elements this morning, and uh, then we'll take that together as a church family, and uh, we'll sing one more song together. But would you just take a moment and uh, just bow your heads? I'm going to pray, and then ask you to come receive the elements and then we'll take them together. Father, I don't want, and I know you don't want, um, our study in Romans.
to just be a study in theology that goes to the head. But I trust that the truth here would go to our hearts. That we would recognize just how beautiful it is that we get to believe. And then we get to receive your righteousness as we believe in Jesus Christ. And so we, today and next week the next, we're gonna say thank you for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We're gonna give you glory and honor and we're gonna do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day is, is be grateful. Pray for those who need some hope today. Lord, there's times when we just need a, even a dose of faith and extra, your, your spirit just guiding us towards, hey, come back here. Let the doubts go. And I pray that our faith would be strengthened as we give you glory. Please, Father. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you